Thank you so much, Errol, for your enthusiasm. Did you sense that? And also Anita. And we're putting, we put our heart and mind into all the things that we do. And I pray that you are the recipients of this, not merely passively, but in receiving God's word and the service of God's servants, that you will be stirred and spurred to faith and good deeds. Amen? And so we carry on with our study of Nehemiah. And we need to ask the question, what is involved? What is involved in achieving a goal? What is needed in accomplishing anything in life that you set yourself to accomplish? What does it take to overcome overwhelming odds in life? And we know the saying, it's 1% inspiration, it's 99% perspiration. Achievement in life, arrival in life, is very hard work. So you just need to ask a swimmer like Joseph Schooling. And though he didn't do too well in this last Olympics, he's still our first gold medal winner. Amen? Sorry. Uh, he was a hero at one time. For those who are tuning in, we have only one gold medal winner in Singapore. His name is Joseph Schooling. And ask him, how many hours does he practice a day to be that kind of swimmer? An average swimmer, I think, would swim six to eight hours a day. You swim until your skin flicks, literally. You ask anybody who's tried to accomplish anything, whether it's badminton, whether it's tennis, whether it's squash, you play until your hands, your fingers are blistered. If you're in weightlifting, you're trying to build up your body, you lift until your muscles tear. There is great effort involved in life in accomplishing anything. And so ever so often in human history and human stories, we pit man versus machine. And so ultra-marathon runner, Robbie Ballinger, challenged himself to outrun the Tesla Model 3. Right? Whether he could run, outrun the Tesla Model 3 on a full battery without the car recharging. And that was approximately 360 kilometers. Just in case you do not know what that distance is, it's perhaps from here to Malacca. Right? So imagine running all that distance. So for three days, Ballinger battled blistering 90-degree temperatures on a remote road located just outside Austin, Texas. On April 14, he was able to keep his legs moving just beyond where his rival Tesla finally conked out. He ran a hundred, a hundred meters, a hundred feet in front of the electric car and then he collapsed. He ran for 76 hours, 54 minutes and 46 seconds and only slept for about 20 minutes each time, each day. 76 hours non-stop running. What does it take to accomplish things? And you look at an achievement like that and say, um, in our intonation here in Singlish for those tuning in. What for, huh? He do that for what, huh? <laughs> At least he challenges himself to something. But you think about it in life. I was just watching a, a clip, a news clip. I've used this over the last two months since the war broke out. And you see these two 17-year-olds being interviewed. And the two 17-year-olds are without their parents. They are out of Ukraine. They are lost. They don't have their parents with them. And who are they in charge of? They are in charge of a whole bunch of five, six, seven years old who don't have parents. They have no idea at 16, 17 years old how to literally look after themselves, let alone look after a whole bunch of young kids younger than them. Have you ever been responsible to look after another person? Have you ever watched a child to the night Fed a sick child to the night, watch the temperature to the night. You know how much it takes, how much is involved in that effort. And so Anita shared, our worship leader, our song leader, that this is graduation time all around in different places. But with graduation stories and success stories, there are also sad stories that some students graduate and they graduate with both parents already passed on. Or one parent or two parents struck with terminal illness. What is involved in this whole enterprise called life? 
You add God into the picture and you ask yourself the question, what is involved in trusting God, in obeying God in a fallen world to live God's way against all odds? And the answer from Nehemiah, by the time we arrive at chapter 6, is very, is very simple. It is obeying God and overcoming enemies. If you think you believe in God and life is a bed of roses, you got it totally wrong. We saw that two, three weeks ago when we celebrated Good Friday. In the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see a small snippet of it here in the life of Nehemiah. So what is involved in obeying God, fulfilling His purposes, living as people in a fallen, sinful world? It's obeying God and overcoming enemies at all costs. You ready to listen to this? That's the simple message. So, did you remember how we were introduced to Nehemiah? This was our introduction to Nehemiah. In chapter 1, verse 11, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, singular, himself, and to the prayer of your servants, plural, the remnant, who, who do what? God doesn't just listen to the prayers of nominal believers, not all Israel are Israel, or else they'll never been taken into exile, never would have been punished with exile who delight in revering your name, who delight in obeying God and loving God and fearing God. And in the Old Testament, to love God is to fear God. To fear God is to love God. Indeed, it's not just in the Old Testament, it's fulfilling Christ and carried on in the life of us as believers. Give your servant, singular, success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. He's about to approach the most important man, the most powerful person with a request and if his request is made wrongly, all the way from body language, facial language, tone of voice, his cupbearer, he's supposed to taste the wine before the wine gets served to the king. And if the king is ever to be, is ever to be poisoned, he will, take, he will take the wine, not bite the bullet. And so, grant him favour in the presence of this most powerful man. The story so far in this book, in chapter 1, I do not know what you cry about. But Nehemiah cries, he moans, he prays when he hears that God's city still lies in ruins. Do you ever pray and your heart is broken about the, the person of God and the things of God? That right now in Ukraine, the, the Christians are suffering. Right now in Sri Lanka, that the Christians there could be suffering. Nehemiah pleads to return to check out the walls and if need to, as he, the report has come to him, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And what's so important about the walls of Jerusalem? They are the walls which guard the city of God, the temple of God. Then Nehemiah rallies the whole nation, the, the remnant, to rebuild. And that's beautifully captured where? That's beautifully captured in chapter 3, where you see them shoulder to shoulder, brick for brick, mortar for mortar, rebuilding the wall. Two words are used in, in uh, Nehemiah, and it could mean repair the wall or rebuild the wall. Most of us as urbanites, as Singaporeans, say, hey, what's the difference between repair and rebuild? Uh? There is a difference. Uh. Repair means part of the wall came down. Rebuild means the whole wall is demolished. And we've got to take ourselves back to 450 B.C., before tractors, before excavators, if a building comes down, it's just rubble there. And the ability to rebuild is much compromised and hindered. And then from chapter 4 onwards, he faces external opposition in Sanballat and Tobiah, who had been introduced in chapter 2. And then he faces internal division, and internal division among his people was the unjust way, the unloving way that the richer nobles and the richest, richer Jews were treating their poorer ones who fell into hard times, aggravated by famine, and when they are down, they get kicked. When you go to the temple of Jerusalem, when you worship the true and the living God, if you know nothing about the Ten Commandments, it boils down to two commandments. You love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul, and you express that love for God 
by loving your neighbour as yourself. Israel was given that law. Only Israel was given that law. By the time you arrive in Nehemiah chapter 5, love between fellow Israelites was missing. Taking advantage of fellow Israelites when they are down, charging them higher interest when they are down, taking away their properties when they are down was common practice. And Nehemiah set a model when he realised that was totally wrong. Here we are rebuilding the walls. Here we are returning to worship at the temple. Surely the worship of God means, the love of God means the love for each other. Amen? And with that backdrop, we now arrive. He now faces, the opposition is now turned personal against him. The bad-mounting of him, the conspiracy theories against him. And you ask yourself, how will he finish this call of God to return, to rebuild, and to revive? And he says here, now when Sanbalat, sorry, go backwards, yep. Now when Sanbalat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of the enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no bridge left in it, so I do not know what you know how to build, but I think building a wall is not something you and me know anything about. It would seem that this wall is pretty complete and the only thing is not there are the doors. And it's pretty complete, that means you can't attack it. So as the wall comes up, so the enemy, Sanbala and Tobiah, couldn't stop the rebuilding of this wall. Now they're going to try and stop the completion of this wall. They couldn't stop Nehemiah from starting. Maybe they can stop him from completing. Let me just pause there, right? When you strike out in life, it's not just starting things under God, it's continuing things and finishing things. Starting is the easy part. And somewhere along the line, Satan and the enemies of God might stop you in starting. Somewhere along the line, they might stop you in continuing. Somewhere along the line, they may stop you in completing what God calls you to do. And so they get more and more desperate as they see the walls go up. Their, their animosity towards him, their animosity towards God's people grows more and more. So Sanbalat and Geshem send to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hekafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. So they call for a meeting some distance away from Jerusalem. And he's busy completing this wall. It would have taken him away. And so, how does he respond to them? I send messages to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. This sentence sounds a bit boastful, right? I cannot come, I'm doing a great work. The, the actual language is, the work I'm doing is really important. Is important work given by God for God's people, for God's temple, for God's glory. That's why he cried in Nehemiah chapter 1. So this is not a boast. This is sing, him saying, compared to, compared to your request, I've got a higher calling, which is to finish what God has told me to do. So why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they persisted with this invitation four times. So I do not know how persistent you are when you invite people, right? When you invite them and they don't want to come. They persisted four times and with malice in their hearts. And I answered them each time the same way. In the same way, Sanbalat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. The fifth time, it's different. And what's this thing about an open letter? An open letter is like you swan somebody, you defame somebody on social media. It's not a private message between you and the person anymore. It's not no longer a private, mess, private invitation between you and the person. You now go big time. This is a public poison letter. Purposely left. So it was written on papyri or papyri, right? And it's open for, for them to see. And the accusation there is, the reason they're rebuilding this wall is they're, go they, they are, they are going, to, they are going to revolt against the Persian king. And so the accusation to him in this public letter 
is that he's accused of treason. It's not a direct accusation yet, but it's there, hinting that this man called Nehemiah and all his countrymen are plotting rebellion against the Persian king. And so Nehemiah's opponents, 6-1, he has an unending stream of opponents. Did you realise that? Not just one, which is very important for me and you to realise as God's people. You never just have one opponent in life as you follow, believe in God and journey under God to fulfil His purposes. It begins with an invitation. Four times the invitation comes to meet, as if they are concerned for Him, which they are not. But the invitation is actually a distraction, a distraction so that Nehemiah will not complete this wall and hence secure the worship of the true and the living God. The repeated phrase in chapter 6 is fear, afraid, fear, afraid. In the NIV, the word used is, they did this to intimidate me. They did this to intimidate me. They did this to intimidate me. In the ESV, the English Standard Version, was to strike fear in you. And we say again and again that fear is the great enemy of faith. So over the past week, in what ways have you been stricken with fear? Let's not kid ourselves, right? We have discovered the vaccines by the grace of God, right? And here we are sitting, and most of us have forgotten, the biggest thing after the pandemic is where to go for holiday. That's the biggest pandemic, and Kam Sia Chu got buffet. I could almost hear when they announced got buffet, Singapore rejoicing. Could, did you hear that from the balconies and the street corners? Buffet! <laughs> Why do you think God in His mercy has brought, is bringing this pandemic to an end? You need to ask yourself very important questions. So, the fear factor and the depth of COVID-19 and the depth of circuit breaker. Can you remember how fearful you were? I just, I, I don't want to take you back to fear, but just in case you've forgotten that you are quite a timid person, that this invisible virus could have killed off your whole family. It could have. We were just walking out of a Bible study group last night and one of our DG members said, hey, my children, uh, they don't know about SARS, you know. The young kids don't know about SARS. This is more than 10 years ago. SARS was totally frightening. Anybody who got it, the chances of surviving was very little. We praise God this is infectious but not as mortal and fatal. Please don't pretend that you have no fears in life. We have fears in life, overwhelming fears in life. And over the last two years, hyper-anxiety may have crippled many of us and led us into mental unwellness, emotional unwellness and relational breakdown. But by chapter 6 verse 6, it's now an accusation if not a condemnation of him. Notice it never begins with an open accusation. It's always slowly inching up to it. Never full-blown. Slowly inching up to it and then to stop him. But what do we see? How does, how does Nehemiah respond to all this? That he is obeying God and how does he overcome his enemies? Very important insights for us to note. Then I said to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your mind. What they accuse him of is a pure lie. It's totally out of their malicious hearts. It's totally out of their malicious hearts and totally out of their imaginations to stop him. And that's one way to stop anything in your tracks. You say one, not me. I didn't think that. I didn't say that. And I didn't do that. You so happen to think that of me. I'm not guilty of that. The Lord is my witness. For they all wanted to, can you read that together with me? For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking that if our hearts are stricken with fear, our hands will figuratively and literally lose energy, lose power. When you're fearful, you're paralyzed with fear. Have you ever been caught in a situation? Maybe you had an accident, bang! 
and you walk out of there, everything is a blur. You're still alive, but you can't decide because your faculties have been shocked to bits, shot to bits. Never underestimate what fear might make you do. The trauma might make you do. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. So how does he obey God and overcome his enemies? How does he obey God and overcome his enemies? Again and again, you see this. Let us meet in the house of God. Then it fast forward to him meeting this person called Shemaiah. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. So if that plot didn't work, the five invitations didn't work to distract him, to intimidate him didn't work, then this one, they're coming to kill you by night. But I say, should such a man as I run away? And what man should, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? And this false prophet was encouraging him, run, run and find, find sanctuary in the temple. He as a Jew knows that no other Jew can enter the temple area except the priest. If he did that, he'll be breaking God's law. If he did that, he'll be a coward. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. God would not have told a prophet, go hide in the temple area. Tell this Nehemiah, go and do that. But he pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. You see how malicious it is? They've gone to the extent of, of hiring somebody to be a fake prophet to stop God's true servant and God's people from accomplishing the purposes of God. So I want to say to you that this is God's lessons for us in ARPC and all who tune in and fellowship with us. We started the year with Mark's Gospel. We ended Mark's Gospel with Mark 14, 15, 16. We ended Mark's Gospel by looking at Jesus, Gethsemane precedes Calvary. If Jesus didn't get on his knees in Gethsemane and say, not my will, but yours be done. If it's possible, let the cup of your wrath pass from me. If Jesus don't, didn't go down on his knees, he would never have faced Calvary for you and me. Amen? True? So Jesus' watch and pray against Satan, against sin, is ended. Our watch and pray carries on. And the spiritual alertness and watch and pray is of every servant that God calls, from Abraham and Sarah to Moses and the people to David and Solomon and now to Nehemiah leading back. As it were, a second exodus back from exile. What is it you see in Nehemiah? He's a model of watch and pray. And what, why is it so important to watch and pray? Because it equips you for what? It increases, it grows, it blossoms, it sensitizes you to men's depravity. That men and women can be so sinful against each other, can be so untruthful, can be so unloving, can be so malicious, malevolent against each other. And then it sensitizes you, alerts you to God's sovereignty over men's depravity. That's why you and I need to watch and pray. That's what is needed again and again and again. And so he could tell by a mouth that this five times invitation was to trap him, to distract him, to strike fear in him. He could tell that this prophet was a hired hand. No true prophet will tell a, another Jew who is not a priest, go hide yourself in the temple. He could tell. I want to ask you, can you tell what a spiritual battle looks like? Can you tell what it looks like? How it might come? How temptation might come into your life? How seduction might come into your life? How compromise of truth might come into your life? How judgmentalism of people can come into your life? Do you have any awareness that your marriage has gone down, downhill because you didn't watch and pray? Have you any awareness that your children are delinquent because you didn't watch and pray? Have you any awareness that your DG group is not blossoming because you don't watch and pray? Have you any awareness 
that the Church of Jesus Christ in Singapore and around the world is not a powerful witness because we don't take Jesus' God's watch and pray seen in Nehemiah fulfilling Jesus seriously. Men's depravity and God's and God's sovereignty. So when we were introduced to Nehemiah, what do we see? His heart is for God. You see Nehemiah, the prayer year, the noun, the person. That's why his prayer years are so instructive and inspirational. You see him confessing his own sin, his family's possible sin and real sin. You see him confessing on behalf of his nation. And you listen to Deacon Arrow, leaders in our service. And as we learn from this, may you in your life learn this. And Deacon Arrow just asks you to do a simple thing. Let's stand and pray together. There's nothing in the New Testament that says you must stand and pray. The Jewish folks stood and prayed. You will also find in the Old Testament them prostrating, bowing down to pray. So I was in December, I was just preaching in an Anglican church. And in the Anglican church, um, they are kneeling pets for you to kneel and pray. And so because I was the speaker, I was sitting in front together with a worship leader, etc. Everybody knelt, I had to kneel. <laughs> Presbyterians don't kneel. Why don't we kneel? I tell you in my personal life, that's, that's part of my worship of God. And that's so important. And so his confessor, his intercessor, and then only his profession comes after his spiritual walk with God. Only as I walk rightly with God will I make a difference as cupbearer to the king. He's a model of piety and a model of practicality. Most of us just want to go out there and do something for God. You will do nothing for the Lord. And this is a quotation, right? You can't do the work of the Lord until you know the Lord of the work. You cannot do the work of the Lord unless you know the Lord of that work. And that's vitally important and that's something we want to promote again and again and again. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God. According to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Notice the refrain three times. Make me afraid, make me afraid, make me afraid. 9, 13, 19, those verses. Make me afraid. And so he doesn't face one opponent. His life is a series of opponents. His life is a series of fears. You want to write that down? That is part of your journey as a believer in God. Your life is a series of unending opponents. Your life is a barrage of fears that cascade upon you from morning to night. Just in case you think that believing in God has none of those things. So what is he pleading here? Is he pleading to be vengeful against Tobiah and Sambalat? He's not. He's actually saying, I trust in you, O Lord, for every blessing and favour. And that's why in chapter 2, I shot up an arrow prayer. Then I asked King Artaxerxes, I asked him for three things. A letter, right? I asked him for a military convoy. I asked him for a letter to give resources to build the wall. And so he's daring to do those things. So he trusts God completely to bless he also trusts God completely to judge and to punish God's enemies and God's opponents that turn up in his life. And I hope you capture this after a while in your own journey. He allows God to be God. He knows that God knows how to be God. At times, He knows how to be merciful. At times, He knows how to be gracious. At times, He knows how to be wrathful. At times, He knows how to punish. They had just come back from exile. God knows what He's doing. You and me have to learn. We don't have to tell God what to do. You have to learn to be a believer. That's the main thing. But so often in life, we turn to God and say, God, have you forgotten? 
Are you suffering amnesia? Are you suffering from Parkinson's? Are you suffering something that you've forgotten me in my life? Yeah. So I must confess, I did watch a snippet of K-drama. Only watch snippets. Whenever I take a tea and sit down, and you know, I can't take the week after week after week. And then, um, Song Ye Jin, a moment to remember. And it's capturing the problem now that is around the world, dementia. And she as a young woman is suffering dementia, and she forgets who she loves. And she forgets that's her husband. The frightening thing about dementia is you forget who the people around you are, and you ask them the question again and again. Right? And there was a line in there, and the line, if I don't quote it wrongly, I don't have to remember you because you have become part of my life. It's staggering or not? Oh, you look so stunned. Maybe it's 6, 6 p.m. That's why you look so stunned. I don't have to make the effort to remember you. I can't. I'm suffering this disease. I'm just comforted that you're part of my life. Do you think God ever forgets you? God ever forgets His people? He doesn't need a, re a woke moment God, wake up. Have you forgotten us? We are part of God's heart. Nothing is more assuring than for you to realize that you are in someone's mind, in someone's heart, and in someone's prayer. Do you realize that you and me, Christopher Cha, my name, your name, is known by God? You are on His mind, you are on His heart. That's why He gave us the gospel. That's why He sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. God doesn't have to be reminded about loving us. We are part of His life. Amen? And what is He doing here? He knows that God knows how to be God. Nehemiah is a model of what it means to obey God and to overcome enemies. And because of this, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days, and when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished. Please read with me. This work had been accomplished, please read with me, with the help of our God. Nehemiah's life is God, front, center, left, right. Nehemiah's life is filled with prayer and trust with God. In fact, we read Nehemiah, not many Bible characters are so flawless except for someone like him. That's why last week's message in our Bible study group and Pastor Sinkun preached was this. This is Nehemiah, a model leader. And so the wall is finished. In 52 days, in Singapore, for those who are tuning in, sometimes 52 days, the person who renovated your place hasn't even turned up. The contractor has run away. In 52 days, they finished restoring this wall, rebuilding this wall, and the only things that was missing were the gates. Surely this is not a human endeavour. But was there a human endeavour? You bet. Did he pray? He prayed with all his heart. Did he put his mind and his wisdom to work? It's 100% Nehemiah, 100% of all the remnant. Day and night, brick, one hand on sword, one hand with brick. They watched this thing against their enemies. But they knew ultimately it was God, 100% God, working in them to stir them on to faith and to obedience. That is why watch and pray is so important. Increasing spiritual sensitivity to God's sovereignty, that God works through one man. He works through two men, actually, returned from exile. Ezra, the book before this, and Nehemiah. He works through two men to bring them back from exile. He also works through kings who controls the affairs of this world. Do you believe that right now, God is in charge of Putin? He's in charge of the oligarchs. He's in charge of Biden. He's in charge of all the leaders of NATO. And he's also in charge of Xi Jinping in China. Do you believe that? 
I'm just asking a question. Right from the words of Scripture, right? He works through his people. He works through the big global affairs. He works through the enemies, and their names are Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, and then the prophetess. Unending opponents, unending series of fears in your life. Your life and my life is a series of fears. And this is how God will cause the remnant to return, to rebuild, and to be revived from their spiritual, social, and moral ashes. When they fail to love God with all their heart and mind and soul, and fail to love each other as the people of God. So the main themes of Nehemiah, the book, is return from exile, rebuild the wall, but essentially it's not just rebuild the hardware, rebuild the people of God, revive the worship of God. And from chapter 9 onwards, he's going to show them all the things you must undertake as you come back. You must stop the intermarriages with foreign women. You must stop these unjust scales among the rich and the poor. Revive the true worship of God. And it's vitally important that we do this. So gospel lessons for us. We will face external and internal, external persecution, internal division in doing God's work as God's people. Again and again, you must realise that, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so what does that mean? Whether it's the first book of the Bible, Abraham and Sarah, God promising them in their old age to give them a child, already bogey, I mean, no motif, right? They will have a child. It's a geriatric ward. They will have a child. You shouldn't ever go to a geriatric ward in an old folks' home and say, you will have a child. It's a very, it cannot be fulfilled. Right? Then Moses has to lead his people out. He has only one, one person to ask. He has to ask Pharaoh. And Pharaoh will not let his people, God's people go. He needs nine, nine plagues. He needs nine plagues, ten plagues to convince him that the God of a bunch of losers is going, is the true and the living God, greater than all his man-made gods. The whole story of the Bible, the whole gospel story has three parts to it. And what are the three parts that you see here in Nehemiah? The danger, the odds of doing God's work is at its highest. You are at your weakest and the promises of God look totally unreal and impossible. Your life and my life are going to be filled with those kind of salvation, redemptive moments. The enemies we face, the danger we face, it's overwhelming. You are physically, spiritually, in every way at your, at your weakest. And all that God has promised to us in His Word sounds like a fantasy. That's when you know you stand at a redemptive moment. That's when you know you stand at a salvation moment. That's when you know you stand at a sanctification moment. That's the spiritual battle, brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? So for us in the RPC, for God to have granted us a gazetted place of worship after all these years, and God granted it just just about the time the pandemic came. What do you call that? I was praying against all odds, Lord, please take it back. This is the last thing we need now to raise tons of money from our people who are losing their jobs. It's always like that. And how would we know that through two years of this pandemic that God has provided more than 90% of the funds that we need for the extension of God's kingdom from ARPC at Adam to ARPC at Bishan to ARPC at Tengah. And I want to make it as clear as possible. As we are taken by God's grace to fulfill His purposes of proclaiming Christ and becoming like Christ and being a witness where we are, by God's grace, we'll still be ARPC at Adam. If people ask you, are we moving out Adam? No, we are not. If people ask you, are we moving out Bishan? No, we are not. By God's grace, we're not. We, God has, if we are faithful in little things, He will make us responsible for bigger things. It's a gospel principle. Will we face external challenges? Will we face internal divisions? Always has been, this is my fourth building project over 32 years. And every time there is. So pray. 
And just in case you, you haven't realised, I've spent the most of the last two years extended walk, watch and pray, walk and pray, two hours a day, three hours a day. And that's how we do it, brothers and sisters. And I don't want to say that as a boast. I want to say that to ask you to watch and pray, to come along on this journey. Or else we have nothing to offer people here, nothing to offer people at Bishan, nothing to offer people at AOPC and Tengah. And just in case you think it's at three localities, um, comfortably just reaching out to Singaporeans here, what about reaching out to our neighbourhood? That our neighbourhood needs to hear the gospel. Amen? And it's very important that we get this right. And so the ways forward when we face opposition right, is this. Three ways forward. You have to embrace vicarious suffering. You find ultimate solace in God and you find fellow sufferers. And what is it that you find in, what is it you find in Nehemiah? Do you find him going to the psychiatrist? He's got opponents left, right and centre, you know, unending, one problem after the other, external and internal. And so, what do we find him doing? Yeah? Embrace vicarious suffering. And we see this ultimately in Jesus. When we find meaning in our wounds, we find meaning in our suffering. And Jesus, somebody said, his body as he hung on the cross became a graveyard for hate. Isn't that a marvellous quote? That he was the embodiment of all our hatred. The Lord Jesus, as he hung on the cross, likewise, throughout history, salvation history, from Abraham to Moses to Nehemiah, every character has been raised by God to push the kingdom purposes forward. We indeed will be blamed as leaders. We'll be accused as leaders. As pastors and Christian leaders, we are a walking target for people's projection, people's transfers, and people's blame-shifting. It happened to Jesus, it will happen to us. It will. It's not whether it's going to happen, it must. And the very fact I stand here, I just had a training session with our leaders this morning. Every pastor worth the assault, you see, I turn around, I turn around. Can you see the holes in the back? It's called holy, holy, holy. If you have been in a mission field, if you have stood up for God, you've got many holes in the back. We die from friendly fire. The Church of Jesus Christ, in, inspired by Satan, is very good at shooting each other down. So you've got to pray for the pastoral team. You've got to pray for the leadership. Pre-COVID, as I travel to different parts, number one way churches grow around the world is by church split. When you church split, you don't grow. You just go into two churches. You get fewer and fewer. They did a study, USA Today, aggravated by the pandemic. Why is the church in USA falling? Why are the young people not going to church? Number one reason, all that infighting in, among Christians is a, is a great hindrance. It's a terrible witness. And Christians, of course, fought very big time in America and the West over what? Over masks. Over vaccinations. We can't even get this right. How are we going to get other things right? And you expect to attract people to come to you? The fights are so strong that if you advocated one thing over the other, people might stop your car and bang your car and, and, and threaten your children. Why are you wearing a mask? People might come up to you straight on the street. Why are you wearing a mask? Don't you have faith in God? These are the things that stumble us in life. We don't have the answers, but... Princess is in Christ. This is Bonhoeffer. Before he was killed by the Gestapo, Germany. Those suffering in the body of Christ suffer vicariously for the body of Christ. They are permitted to bear what others are spared. And so he was a pastor that said, after a while, you cannot believe that Hitler is a saviour of the German motherland. As much as you can say in Russia now, you surely cannot believe that Putin is a patron saint of the Russian Orthodox Church. And the bishop there has given blessings for the missiles to fly into Ukraine. That cannot be, friends. After a while, we have to bite the bullet and say no. But our ultimate solace is prayer 
As you see in Nehemiah, he found solace in God and nobody understood what he was going through. His enemies externally, his enemies internally. We highly commend that to each and all of us. Why is that so important? And so, with the Gettys coming, what is it we're promoting? One of the seminars is family devotions, right? So you saw Keith himself making the announcement for us. We are really blessed in your PC for the concert. About 2,700 people have, have signed up for it. We praise God for that. But we need to recapture the beauty of returning, rebuilding as the people of God, and reviving in true worship. So invite your friends. And that's similar to, to teach us how to pass on the gospel to our children. I want to ask you, right? Out of 10 families, Christian families around the world, how many, out of 10 couples, how many couples, Christian couples, are having prayer time, quiet time together every week? Every day? I would hazard a guess it's less than 50%. What about families? I would hazard a guess if we did a survey around the world, and ARPC included, it will be fewer than 50%. If there is something we need to prepare ourselves, it's really taking God seriously in our hearts and in our homes. Amen? Vitally important that we get this right. So immediately after the service, that's why we showed you the picture of the barbecue pork, that free meal. As you enjoy that meal, let down your guard, turn on your phones and do three things. Please sign up. Please, if you are a member, please sign up for the ACM. We need to do this all together. And this ACM is as important as the previous two ACMs when we voted for the building. Because the hardware is done, we voted on the hardware, we're now doing the software. What's the software? Preacher Ng Yak Chow. Preacher Ng Yak Chow is the preacher to our Mandarin ministry. He's a godly man. We don't have this ACM, he doesn't get elected. And so it will be a great discouragement to him. So all members here, immediately after service, when you give you that, are we really serving the pork? I'm not sure. It's not, no? it's something that's very healthy. What are you eating? Popia, is it? Oh, duck. Uh. Okay, it's duck. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Just as healthy. Okay. So as you do that, why do you stand there and whip up your phone and do a few things, sign up for the ACM, put in your proxy votes, and then encourage each other to sign up for the two seminars, which will bless your heart. And we actually reserve 500 seats for our own ARPC people before we open it to the rest of Singapore. We are having our brothers and sisters fly in from overseas to spur us on in this. This is very important for us. And so, what do we mean here? If we are fellow sufferers, I read this somewhere, right? We need fellow sufferers. The chapter, chapter 7 begins in this way. He appointed Hanani, his brother, and he appointed him not because of sibling things. He was more faithful and God-fearing man than many. So up to this point, Nehemiah is the standout God-fearing man. But then to supervise this work some more, beyond the building of the wall, he appoints another God-fearing man. And that's very important for us to realise. And so the need for fellow God-fearers and the need for fellow sufferers. If you fear God, you will be shot at. If you fear God, you will be accused. If you fear God, there will be opposition against you. But we can do this together. And as we're preparing this and giving this to the English Presbytery pastors, so many of them were wounded, especially the senior pastors. So I started a fellowship and said, we really need this. And I read an article that I think came from England or America. Why don't we have sufferers meetings? <laughs> Let's start a sufferers fellowship, a fellow sufferers fellowship. And you sit around the table and you hold each other's hand. You sit around the table and you hold each other's pain. That will get you through. Fellow sufferers know what it means to suffer for Christ. You, don't just have, you don't, are not just called to vicarious suffering. You need fellow sufferers along with you, fellow God-fearers along with you in the journey of life. And so we highly encourage you to do this as we journey together. And if our pain is not transformed, it will be transmitted into anger, into sarcasm, into nastiness, into sinfulness. You find nothing of that happening to Nehemiah. No matter how many enemies, 
no matter how much fear, we find Him going on with God. That's vitally important for us to realise. That we minister out of truth, we minister out of love. The perfection of whom, of which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to end our time by singing this song. Before the throne of God, we plead. And what is it we plead? We plead our vindication, we plead our innocence. Let's stand and pray together. So often, we do not realize what is involved in this very high calling to be your people, in this very high calling to do your work, to fulfill your purposes for your service and for your glory. And so oftentimes, we march out with our self-sufficiency and our self-wisdom and our self-strength. And ultimately, we will fail. So we thank you for these great lessons we are learning from the book of Nehemiah and from the person of Nehemiah, pointing us always to the Lord Jesus Christ, the necessity to be spiritually alert, to watch and pray, so that we can be increasingly sensitized and sensitive to man's sinfulness around us, to our own sinfulness against others, and ultimately to your sovereignty, your sovereignty that offers us mercy, your sovereignty that offers us grace, your sovereignty that offers us a new beginning. We turn to you always by turning to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And though our journey may be difficult and fraught with persecution and fraught with opposition within, we pray never to turn inward, but know that before the throne of God, we have a perfect plea in Jesus Christ. And when people go lower, we go higher. We come closer to you, not further from you. So strengthen us as we return, strengthen us as we rebuild, and strengthen us as we revive in true worship together. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.